My friends, what lays before you is the myriad knowledge of an unfathomable universe. Join our intrepid remembrancers as they explore the heresy as history. From deep within the farthest reaches of the great library of Tiska, we are the Heresy Grad School. So said the War Master in his wisdom. Go forth, my sons, and illuminate them. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Her- Heresy Grad School, where we cover heresy as history. Um, you know, we're starting a new segment uh, over the next several episodes. It's going to be a lot of episodes. Um, we're going to be covering the the Xana incursion, um, straight out of out of book six. So uh, best be ready for that. If any of you are, I know Dave has been really excited about this. Jason, of course, is really excited about this. I mean, we're talking about a Forge world here. I'm super excited, you guys. Um, Dave has even gone above and beyond and made a syllabus for for all these episodes. Um, and you can get that syllabus if you become a patron. Isn't that right, Dave? Yeah, definitely. Um, and there's... I don't think there's like a, a limit to it. So, um, you, you know, go ahead and head over to Patreon. You can find us under um, the Remembrancers Retreat because Heresy uh, Grad School is, is part of that. Um, and we definitely appreciate your support. This would be one way you can like say, hey, we really like what you guys do. Um, and like, I think a dollar would get you access to uh the Patreon and, and the syllabus. Uh, yeah, I think it's like a dollar or it's three dollars. It, it's it's still pretty small for for what you get um, with all these episodes. Uh, just a reminder to our patrons uh, with all these episodes, you will be getting early access to it. Um, so, you know, that's another plus if you've been on the fence about joining our Patreon. Um, that's pretty cool. So what is it like a week early? They get it. Yeah. So like next week, this episode won't come out for normal you users but it'll come out for everybody else um or it'll come out for the patron patreons and then everybody else will get it the next week that's pretty cool yeah Yeah, so i definitely wanted to do this this is by um no means like uh you know twisting my arm right so this is something i've been wanting to do for a while um is really treat uh our coverage of the horse heresy as a proper, you know, um, lesson in history, right? So syllabus, um, suggestions for further reading. So a lot of the reference material that we cover here um, will also be in the syllabus and just a lot of rabbit holes that we go down, right? And Uh, if I remember correctly, Dave, when looking over the syllabus, you even have questions for the listeners, like... I do. Yeah. No, I wanted to make, yeah. Yeah. I wanted to make them sort of thought provoking. Um, what are the things that as I went through this and I went through this a lot, right? I mean, this was so good. I think I got really excited about Xana and the idea of Xana a while ago. And then when I started digging into it, I was, um, I just blown away, man. I mean, this really to me is, uh, it's it's the genius of Alan Bly. It's the genius of the Forge World team. Um, the way they can really explore parts of the the galaxy that you know we just haven't explored before, and we'll get into that a little bit more um, in the cast. But I think this is probably one of my favorite um, deep lore. Uh, explorations of the Horus Heresy that certainly I've had a chance to uh, to really dig into. So I'm really excited to share that with you guys. If you want to be a part of that, I think, you know, we'll see where this goes if we get enough sort of feedback and interest. Um, I don't know, Pat, I'd like to maybe open up a Discord chat for maybe our Patreons um, to say, hey, come on and let's talk about it for maybe 
you know, 45 minutes or an hour to see what happens. Yeah. I definitely think that that could most definitely happen. We're also going to have, um, we're going to have guest lectures on for this series. Um, you know, some black shield and iron hand experts, and then, uh, some dark angel experts too. And it's going to be, it's going to be a really exciting action packed series of episodes. Like, the the amount of work and Dave gets all the credit for this. The amount of work Dave has put into this is phenomenal and we are just excited to present it. I'm excited to do it. I'm excited to have you guys here and we are going to have a lot of fun. So let's talk about some dark mech. <laughs> <laughs> the Xana incursion. Death has reared himself a throne in a strange city lying alone. Hell, rising from a thousand thrones, shall do it reverence. Unknown poetic fragments collected in the Lexus Dramaturica, Saga M2. Part one, the edge of empire. All right, so let's get into it, right? So part of the appeal, I think, of the Xana incursion um, is that it, it's a, it is a conflict that took place relatively, I would say actually mid-heresy, right? So if, if you think of Istvan III as, as sort of early heresy, right? What kicked it all off? 003, M31, and Istvan V, 005, M31, rough dates. Um, Xana, the incursion, happened in 009. So certainly before we get into the Solar Wars and the Siege of Terra, and certainly before Beta Garmin. Um, but it is an important conflict because it, it sort of plays on that early history and then it really leads up into the final sort of um, climactic struggle, right? And so what I really like about Xana is, number one, it goes back and it sort of connects the dots on some of the early lore about the Xana Hellforge. Um, which we'll get into uh, later, but there was no mention of Xana through books one through five. Um, so this to me was, you know, Alan Bly and the team going back and sort of making sure the history all meshed together. The second thing is it really highlights what happens to the, both the Shattered Legion and the, um, some of the black shields coming out of the um, the drop site massacre and uh, right the just the devastation of Istvan, and it puts the Iron Hands back in the mix. So to me, the Iron Hands really do get written off very early. They have you know sort of the pre-heresy Great Crusade to their name. And then they have Istvan, and it's like, that's it. Thank you very much for playing. Um, sort of, you know, exit stage right. But this, to me, really brings the Iron Hands back in um, in a very, very cool, very special way. Uh, so I really liked it for that. And then, of course, it brings um, some elements of the Dark Angels and some of the other um, Shattered Legions in. So uh, all of that... And the total force strength of the Xana incursion on the Loyalist side is about a thousand Astartes. So a relatively small strike force um, that is able to have, as Pat called it, a sort of disproportionate impact um, on a forge world that is almost the size and output of Mars. Um, yeah, I think yeah. The, the way I described it was... Um, small footprint, large outcomes. So like you have a, a very small force for, for such a, a large endeavor and then just the repercussions of everything. Yeah. Which is almost the way the loyalists have to fight this, this war after Istvan five, because they took such heavy losses, you know, at the drop site massacre, they took such heavy losses early on that, this can't just be a war of attrition. Um, it's got to be a war of 
of, of just disproportionate strikes and um, cutting off supply chains, and which is what XANA represents, right? It's this potential to provide uh, material and war stock and munition to um, Horus and the, um, you know, just the, the pushback to, to Terra. And so this really has a very critical impact, I think, on, on the larger campaign. And we'll see that later. Um, but to me, it was uh, it's just so good. Uh, with that, I think that's what I want to say to kind of to, to tee up uh, Xana. What do you guys think? Well, uh, one thing that consistently jumps out at me, and Zana, I think, is the perfect, perfect representation of this. Uh, Dorn, Rogaldorn, uh, Primarch of the Terrific Imperial Fists, is not terrific at much of anything when it comes to interpersonal skills. And the Zana incursion, uh, starting out, Zana's kind of, uh, you know, passively sort of stay out of it, this is your problem, neutral. Until uh, Dorn and Horus both start making, you know, offers. And I think it really highlights how not good Dorn is at this, because his offer is essentially to, like you mentioned before, to declare them uh, traitors and excommunicate them, uh, followed by Malkador coming in later and offering... Uh, the terrific prize of removing that excommunication if they will supply the loyalist forces. So uh, that's something I'm very much looking forward to making fun of as we progress. And uh, I think it should uh, come as no surprise that Zana does not, in fact, go with that deal, which is uh, just short of like some sort of mafioso racketeering scam. I mean... I'm just kind of excited to get into the to the actual guts of the Forge world and the fact that, you know, this is like it becomes the very first Hellforge, you know, thanks to Scoria. And and I just think that lore is very interesting and also the different battle automata that we see coming out of it. And then all of the color plate sections in this book around Zana are are amazing and beautiful and we can go in depth with about every single piece of armor that's in it every chip like what happened to this this marine what happened to this thanatar that kind of thing oh yeah we definitely will um i mean i think that's that's part of the genius of of uh these black books uh sort of un unparalleled and un duplicated unreplicated uh anywhere else i think in in sort of the games workshop um you know literature is that they really do talk to each other um and they are they're just they're rabbit holes within rabbit holes and they're so much fun but uh yeah we'll definitely get into all that uh jason do you uh without further ado would you like to uh to kick us off Yeah, let me get on that. So uh, there's a quote to start off this entire uh, recording of the Zana incursion that Dave and I are both big fans of. It's on page 55 of uh, Retribution. It's from the Book of the Hydra. And right under possibly the most badass Mechanicum crest to ever exist uh, for the Zana Forge world, you have this quote. The blade of suspicion is keener yet than that of hate, for it slays friends as readily as foes. It sunders kin and rends apart those who, in sane course of action, would be allies as easily as those whom nature itself decrees as deadly foes. So savage a weapon it is that they, that they who master it need fear none, save of course themselves. And that's a pretty terrific way to sum up at least what starts a lot of the issues in the Zana incursion. So, like Dave mentioned here, by um, 009M31, we are well into the heresy. And 
as a whole, the galaxy's in some tough times. The Zana Forge World has, um, while we know where it ends up as one of the first and biggest Hellforges, it's still a pretty neutral uh, Forge World starting out. Uh, up until this point, it's a pretty impressive uh, Ultima II grade facility. It's one of the most capable Forge Worlds in the entirety of the Imperium, and it's completely unmatched in its region of the galaxy. So its main planetary sphere is Zana II, which has uh, plenty of inhabited moons. It's got sort of sub-facilities all over the place. It's got um, both asteroid and gas mining installations scattered throughout all of the, you know, meteor debris belts. And uh, its next closest neighbor, Zana 1, is an enormous gas giant. Uh, its position, it's actually super far out on the galactic arm of the Western Fringe. And uh, something Dave's going to talk a little more about. Uh, it's actually titled on the star charts of the Carta Imperialis as Occidentum Thule. It's kind of like that last step before the, you know, great intergalactic abyss. So, uh, Zana's masters are notoriously uh, independent, standoffish, kind of a little xenophobic, much like a lot of the Forge Worlds we talked about during the Coronid Deeps. Uh, so this entire time, I mean, the heresy has been going on for years by this point. And despite the fact that Zana is an enormously capable forge world, they have basically been left alone, and they've basically kept to themselves. So even as the Horus Heresy starts kicking off and stuff starts going south on both sides, Zana only kind of increases its isolation. And it is currently ruled over by a synod of Majos, if you guys remember back to our... Uh, Mechanicum coverage. It's kind of like the ruling class, similar to in the Catholic Church, how there is a uh, consistory of bishops, or excuse me, not bishops, cardinals, different thing. Um, and in fact, uh, this synod of Majos are called the Vodian Consistory. And they are not doing anything at all to allay that isolationist, standoffish, you know, system of policies. Uh, they are even keeping up the line that the heresy as a whole is an internal matter of the Great Crusades military and that they have no direct involvement. And if you guys remember what's going on in the 500 worlds, there's a pretty uh, badass ruin storm kind of shutting everything down that's consistently growing. But even before this, regularly scheduled freight convoys from Zana to uh, ports both Loyalist and Trader have started to taper off and eventually disappear altogether. Now, uh, there are, of course, numerous probes, numerous rogue traders, uh, and their vessels sent out. And truth be told, uh, there's not a whole lot of, you know, turbulence in the warp that could be a decent explanation as to why Zana is not fulfilling its uh, obligations. And as this goes, uh, they start getting more requests that turn into demands that turn into threats from Terra and Horus both, that they start fulfilling these obligations that have completely dwindled out. Uh, they have started stockpiling this war material instead of shipping it out to where it's supposed to go. And everything, whether it's a threat, whether it's a plea, whether it's an entreaty, it's all met with the same sort of, you know, boilerplate regret and, you know, blanket courtesy. And these are not even delivered directly. They're delivered through courier probes that have managed to make their way to, uh, you know, picket fleets from both the Terran side and the Warmaster side. And it's getting a little frustrating because the Loyalists and the Warmaster both are trying to, you know, get one over on the other, 
but every bit of intelligence they have on the other side is saying that Zana is offering these same sort of, you know, lame condolences, these blanket attempts at courtesy. And for the most part, Zana maintains that there are, uh, let's see, uh, they maintain that there was a complete loss through the Imperial Storm of an entire macro arc convoy and its escort squadrons. And while these are consistent, they don't really hold up under heavy scrutiny. Uh, it's kind of a moot point because as long as Zana has gone, they have still maintained this isolation. And when it starts to, uh, the reports start to come back of Zana aligned forces that have been kind of tentatively identified as a Zana allied Tagmata, uh, they're starting to attack other small surrounding things, possibly to retrieve resources. Uh, one of the things we're going to talk about later is Gilder's Grave on the edge of the Visadak sector. And they're doing things that are both antagonizing traitor-aligned naval forces and loyalists. Um, so around Gilder's Grave, they actually drive off a traitor-aligned naval blockade uh, before going on to massacre the loyalist militia defenders and looting the planet. And as the war continues, they are, both sides are starting to look at Zana as a, you know, bigger and bigger potential resource that has to be, you know, tipped to one side or the other. The farther this conflict goes, the more valuable Zana becomes. And the conclusion that both sides are starting to draw is that in these years of isolation, obviously the forges of Zana haven't just been dark. They've been consistently churning out this vast stockpile of munitions, of war machines, of materiel, but they haven't been shipping it to anything. And uh, this is where Rogel Dorn openly proclaims uh, the forge world of Zana, traitorous Perdita, under sentence of death. And at the same time, in a move resembling some sort of racketeering scheme, uh, Malkador sends more subtle agents to let the forge world's ruling constituency know that if they start shipping product back to the loyalist forces, that this, uh, this can be overlooked. Uh, however, as we will find out a little later, the Warmaster, being a lot better at his job than Dorn is, uh, kind of comes up with a better plan here. Let's be honest. Horus, most charismatic person in the Horus heresy, in my opinion, and Dorn has about as much charisma as a brick. Thank I you. Mean, Thank you for not... listening to my TED Talk. I'm done. It's not called the Dornian heresy. Proof. <laughs> Good times. But uh, that's kind of the overview of the opening moves of uh, Edge of Empire here. But uh, one thing Dave and I both wanted to touch on is Zahn is a little bit different than some of the other Forge worlds we kind of talked about in the past. Uh, definitely different from uh, that super, super deep dive we did on Zhao or Cod. Uh, near and dear to all of our hearts, all three of us being uh, Thousand Sons players. But uh, Dave, Pat, what are your thoughts on uh, how Zahn is kind of different than some of the other forges we've touched on? Well, we'll definitely get into it. Um, I think this was a really good setup for what comes next, which is, you know, why is there a Primaris grade Forge World um, literally at the edge of the, you know, sort of galactic, uh, you know, uh, space, intergalactic void? Um, oh, why indeed? <laughs> But uh, but yeah, Zana is it allowed to be so quiet? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Dave. <laughs> no, I mean I, I think I think we'll get into some of the the peculiarities of Zana, and really a lot of these Forge worlds, right? So we have to remember that 
Um, the Ark Explorer tour fleets were launched during the Age of Strife without navigators into what was essentially old night, right? So it was the rest of sort of human um, galactic civilization is tearing itself to pieces. Uh, Mars is the holdout, and it's it's still it's still trying. Um, and it's launching out these these basic you know these basic pods, these self-contained, um, self-propagating human civilizations. And I mean, they keep pretty good records. I want to say they keep pretty good records, but sometimes you know records get lost. So we will definitely get into that next time. I think it's going to be one of the most interesting parts of this uh, coverage is sort of how Xana is different. Um. But uh, yeah, it just it reminds me uh, how much I love the coverage of Forge Worlds, and um, yeah, I'm really just really excited to go back. One thing I wanted to bring up that uh, so I was going back some of my old show notes when we did the Coronet Deeps, and it really jumped out to me how much that this kind of aligns in the same sort of thought pattern. It makes me really happy whenever Forge World does something super deep like this, or the Coronet Deeps, where, I mean, let's be honest, you don't play Horus Heresy and like, unless you like Space Marines, but it's really nice to see engagements where they're not the main sort of highlight. You know, it's it's a little new and a little different to get Mechanicum on mortal forces, and that's a lot of what we're going to see here with the uh, Zana incursion, because the involvement of space marines, while um, I think it's about a thousand of them all told, they are not the most important players in this uh, in this engagement. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree, Jason. It's again, it's just part of the reason why I think we gravitate to this. Um, this lore as being uh, just just really uh, really compelling because um, it does shine a light into the dark places of the uh, of the uh, the dark millennium, right? And and using that in the thirty thirty first sense of the word. But so speaking of sort of where Xana is located, um, and and going back to some of my earlier comments on. You know, I think this is Alan Bly going back and, and doing a little bit of cleanup work um, because at the same time as he was uh, writing, uh, maybe not personally writing, but certainly he he sort of had the, um, you know, his hand on the, the helm of uh, book six, Retribution. He was also writing Imperial Armor 13, which was... Um, Jason, was it the Lost in the Damned? It was basically the last yeah, Imperial. It yeah, it was the last Imperial Armor, maybe the best Imperial Armor uh, book to to ever come out, which was a coverage of all of the um, sort of demonic uh, machines uh, that uh, that existed in the forty first millennium. So you can see a lot of crossover. Xana being a huge part of the Hellforge. Um, production in the 41st millennium. I feel like this was maybe his attempt to go back and sort of clean that up. Hey, where was Xana? Where, how did we miss that in the early lore? Um, let's go back and put that on the map, right? So if you look at, if we go back and look at book one, um, you know, which is Betrayal, which kicked it all off, and you open it up to the front cover of the book, uh, you see this it, right inside the front cover, right? Um, you see this beautiful layout of um, of the galaxy, uh, right? From everything from the halo stars, the ghoul stars, the eastern fringe, the veiled region, to the intergalactic void on the western edge of Segmentum Pacificus. And this is something that I think I never really appreciated on like a visceral level is that the intergalactic void is not 
holistic in the sense that it's just everything that lays outside of the Milky Way galaxy. Um, Cause we have names for those. Uh, the intergalactic void is a very specifically the sector of space that lies um, to the Western. If you're on a like flat map, cardinal direction, uh, Western direction um, of Segmentum Pacificus. And it, it actually is the intergalactic void if you think about it, because if you look at a 3D map um, of the Milky Way galaxy, this would be the, um, I guess, the spin word. No, sorry, this would be the trail word. Um, and this is, the dark, this is dark space. So for anything to be out here, is very sort of peculiar. Why would you launch in this direction, right? There's not a lot out here. If you look at the map and you look at sort of Segmentum Pacificus, it's by far the most sparsely populated in terms of um, sort of stellar, uh, stellar space, solar systems, um, subsectors, right? This is the most spar sparsely populated sector of space we have. Um, so why would you launch out here is the first question. Why would anything be out here? And that, the, the second thing I want to say is if you look at book one and the inside cover, we have an amazing treatment of known forge worlds to the extent that I don't even know all these forge worlds, right? I know Stygis, I know Lucius, I know Ryza, um, I know Griffon, but Greya, um, Akatron, Anvilus. Um, these are Forge Worlds that I don't think I have a very good understanding of. And even Sarum is on here, so we know what happened to Sarum. So I think to go back and sort of add Xana back in there as a major grade Forge World was very cool and it's something that we get in book six. And then the idea that there is this... Um, Western Isles, right? So that's what Occidentum Thule really is. So Occidentum is a play on the Latin Occidental, which is a um, direct translation to West. And so Thule is a Greek Latin um, translation of island. So what we have is we have sort of the Western Isles of uh, the intergalactic void and Segmentum Pacificus. And I just... I just love that. Uh, I love that idea so much that we're going and shining light into the really, really dark places um, of the map that we don't, we haven't seen before. I mean, I hate to be that guy that, that pulls the similarity in, but Segmentum Pacificus, Western Isles, just kind of, it all kind of fills in at least geographically, you know? Have yeah, to no. be super honest. I mean, I don't think you've ever, ever really been sorry to be that guy. Oh God, no! I'm never sorry to be that guy. I, I just said it for for emphasis, you know. Whatever. Right. Right. <laughs> no, Pat, we love you, man. I think you're the guy that you voice. You're the voice of the listeners, right? You just make sure that <laughs> as the listeners are screaming at their radio, like your voice is heard, right? So it's it's good. It's good. Keep us honest, man. Yep. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know how much uh, how much more we want to get into this, but I will say that some of the stuff that Jason covered early earlier on uh, is beautifully laid out for you guys on page fifty eight, fifty nine. Um, we get a beautiful treatment. Uh, it's a treatment that I don't think we've seen before in the Forge World Black Books. We do see it again uh, in some of the uh, Adeptus Titanicus books, specifically Titan Death and Beta Garmin. We see the same kind of uh, graphic uh, illustration there of the Xana, um is it is it Tissaphone uh, system, Jason? That what is right? Yeah, I think so. Oh, Visadax, Xana's Visadax system. Um, 
And so it's, it's, it really does help to put things, I think, in scale that you would have this massive gas giant, right, which is classified as Typhon Tinus classification storm zone. This is a high value hazardous resource extraction of gas, basically. So they're, they're gas farming this, right? They're mining this for, for resources they can extract out of the atmosphere. Um, and then they have sort of your typical um, Mechanicum moon, right? We've seen this before. I think we saw this with Mazoa. Um, we may have seen it with, um, you know, who's, who, who were the bad guys in uh, Cyclothrace, right? So mm-hmm. I think we've seen this before in Cyclothrace. This is sort of like the staple of any like good forge world like if you're like good, boilerplate for any forge world really yeah like if you're a fucking <laughs> proper forge world you have like a planet-sized moon right i mean to to um pull it into a 40k perspective if you look at um spear of the emperor the yep. the forge world that is revolving around the spears home world or chapter world is a moon you know so clearly the template has not has not differentiated in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, and I think it's an artificial moon too, right? So Yeah. Yeah. So so this uh the this this artificial construct, this artificial moon, um, is Xana Tisiphone. Um it's an experimental station and penitentiary colony. Uh, why would you have your experimental station and penitentiary colony co-located? Well, because things might go wrong, you know, and yeah, it's probably a good place to keep all of your most dangerous experiments and things. Oh, definitely. It gives you a ready supply of, uh, you know, criminals to experiment and or turn into servitors. Yeah. Where do you think they get all their thralls? I mean... Yeah, where do you think brains from Castellac or for uh, <laughs> Thalax come from? Perfect. Um, yeah, so it's just—I mean, I love this. I love the depth that Forge World goes into. We even have some star systems here that have like coordinates, which I'm still trying to figure out. I got to get somebody on like NASA, like on the hook to figure out like what these coordinates are. But yeah, until like- I do. <laughs> Are you talking about the side ones where it's like Phi slash slash seven nine three slash slash omega or something like that around the sides of the uh the actual main um planets that they describe? Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely, Pat. Um that's exactly what I'm referring to is that it appears that there are stellar coordinates sort of baked into this map. You know, we just can't can't figure them out. But um, but yeah, I th- this this map does actually give us a lot of um, a lot of background detail. Uh, if if you really are to dig into it, the first thing I would say is that Xanatu is classified as an Omnis Potentia. Um, that is the grade of output that it has in the classification of Forge World, because um, Forge Worlds are classified on sort of what their output capability and capacity is. So Omnis Potentia is the same classification, I think, as sort of every major Forge world to include Mars. Um, Jason will undoubtedly correct me if I'm wrong on that. That sounds right. But uh, but yeah, so Tithe Grade Ultima 2. Um, I would assume that a Tithe Grade, a tithe grade Ultima 1 would be the only thing that would be higher, so maybe if Mars is a tithe grade Ultima 1, it just means that the Imperium wants more stuff. The Mechanum, Mechanicum wants more material, labor, um, resource from you. So a tithe grade Ultima 2 is a pretty high level of tithe, and we'll see what that means in terms of what Xana provides um, the Great Crusade as we get into sort of um, episode two and later on. I think what's really interesting here is we have an unknown patent. So we don't know where the patent came from. We only know that it happened during the Age of Strife, which is a long time. 
right? It's just like 6,000 years. We don't really know where in there Zana was, was founded. We don't really know a whole lot more. And then we get this warning, right? So it's like this sort of, you know, traitorous Perdita warning. And traitorous Perdita is actually an interesting Latin phrase, which means traitors lost. So you could interpret that as lost to the Imperium. So, um, but we'll get into all that stuff a little bit later. And I am so excited, but got to give you guys a break too to digest and hopefully come join us um, over on Patreon and get into the syllabus and send us your questions. Yeah. I mean, send us questions regardless of if you're a patron or not, because let's be honest, we love to hear from you guys and we'd love to, uh, to talk about it on the cast. We really love it when you come up with something like we never would have thought of in a million years. And it, it happens, I think, more often than you would expect. Yeah, there's, there are a few tangents we've gone on courtesy of, of listener feedback. And, you know, I'm definitely not saying that's a bad thing because it helps us, you know, it helps us, you know, better our research and, and get good. It's <laughs> also always funny when you make fun of dumb loyalist propaganda. I always appreciate it. It's entertaining to listen to. Yeah, so guys, send us your feedback, send us your questions, send us anything you think we may have gotten uh, a little wrong. Uh, that's okay. We like the constructive feedback. And then we'll do a little section before, I think, the next episode. And then as we go through Xana, um, we'll just call it like housekeeping or something. And we'll go back and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll cover your questions. Um, we'll clean up anything that needs to be cleaned up. And uh, yeah. Super excited to get into this. Yeah. Um, with that, I think we're going to move on. Uh, Jason, do you have any fun rules to talk to talk to uh, the listeners about today? Uh, I don't tonight. Uh, next time? Next time, we are going to get into some of the solar auxilia rules that I'm a huge fan of. You heard it here first, folks. We're getting into solar auxilia and not complaining about how they don't have the super heavy rule anymore. Wait, I didn't say that. Sorry. All right, guys. If it's this is one I, I don't ask for much besides a uh, sponsorship from Coke Zero. But other than that, I would gladly put that sponsorship on hold if you would find it in your heart to write to Forge World and tell them. Maybe it was a bad idea to change all Malkadors in to something that's not a super heavy. Because my solar auxilia used those Malkadors to put the fear of God into Uppity Astartes players. And they can still do that, but it's a really uphill trek now. And even if it's something as small as calling them like, oh, the Malkador Primus and making them cost 25 30 more points or whatever just to differentiate the single malkadors in solar auxilia heavy support from the for whatever reason squadroned malkadors that astartes get that would be spiffy because uh, it's something that affects dave and i uh really really close and near to our hearts and we're sad that it's a really uphill trek to try and run a all armored up uh, solar auxilia list now. Sad times. <laughs> yeah, definitely not to go off on a, a tangent, but um, a there are bit. a little bit. There are there are plenty of ways Forge World could bring back. I think sort of the efficacy of. Um, armor in a solar auxilia list without having to like redact everything they said you know like um number one you could clean up uh d rules number two you could um clean up super heavy rules so that you know it wasn't a it wasn't a thing where you could just you know pop something with you know five hull points right 
Um, you could you could do a lot of stuff to I think add the flavor of a solar auxilia heavy armor list back into the heresy, which is where it belongs, um, without necessarily having to go back and say, okay, you get everything back. Or if you get everything back, that's cool, but make it cost more. Um, or so, you could let the solar auxilia just get one thing a Astartes <laughs> don't get. That is also an idea. I think the reason it throws me off is they, I think 95% of the time, I remember hearing that uh, one of the Forge Roll guys in an interview saying, like, we're never going to do anything that completely makes it, you know, so you can't use the models you've made. We may adjust some points, we may shift some stuff around, but we're going to make sure you can use your models that you bought. And I really like that. And I think this is maybe the one time, and it's it really bothers me because Malkadors are so terrific, but because they're not super heavies, any longer they can't use the best variant which is and i'll argue this with anyone the battle cannon and the demolisher cannon on the same chassis those are the most fun you will ever have with a super heavy body short of a malkador infernus against an imperial fist player but i digress and if you have two ordnance weapons on a vehicle that's not a super heavy you can't use them in the same turn because an ordnance weapon being fired on a non-super heavy makes everything else snap shoot, and you can't snap shoot a template weapon. Yeah, which is crazy, right? So it totally, it, yeah, we won't like Pat cut this out of you if we go along, but like, do so not Malcolm, cut this out, Pat. <laughs> they must know. Valdor, Are you kidding me? This is podcast gold. I'm not doing shit. <laughs> yeah, it, it really makes the Valdor Infernus um, almost unplayable because you, you get a, what is it, Jason? A, a crew sh shaken or crew stunned oh, yeah. result? Single crew shaken, single crew stunned uh, will knock the Malkador Infernus out for an entire turn. And this is that not a, it's not a heavily armored vehicle. I think front armor 13 and side armor maybe. 11 or 12 but it's, oh, yeah. I think it's 13 12 11 with six yeah. hull points that that being said the last one that i destroyed was dave's and i popped it with can openers but <laughs> which is fair you could always have done that that was the way to do it but um but yeah i think it just seems it seems ridiculous to spend the points put something on the table uh that had that sort of really um punch to it and then say okay a glancing hit you know well not a glancing hit but like anything that lets you roll on the vehicle damage table um number one has a chance of just blowing it up which is fucking crazy um for the points and how many hull points it is and then number two i mean if you get like the lowest result you just can't use it so it's like okay whatever you might get one good turn out of it. That doesn't strike me as quite as bad as the um, the demolisher cannon, battle cannon, like mainline battle tank Malkador at like you know shaking itself so it can't use its other template weapons. But that's definitely up there. And let's be honest, the Malkador Infernus was terrific. Like I don't know about you, Dave, but fifty percent of the time it didn't do a whole lot. But man, did it put the fear of God into some Astartes players. It did. It was the first thing that people were going to go after because everybody knew you were going to take the chemical uh, munitions upgrade. And oh, yeah. with the it was two plus and yeah. the pinning and the Hellstorm torrent. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. It was really good. But it was also sort of the backbone of um, an anti infantry, you know, solar auxilia armored list. And and as it should be, because it was, yeah, I mean, that's what it was, that was, that's what it was there for. The solar auxilia on foot don't get there. The solar auxilia in the air, mm, debatable, don't get there. Um, so it's just, uh, I'd like to see them, I'd like to see them come back. I'd like, because it's not a list that you see a lot. It was not a list you saw a lot anyway. 
I think. I mean, it really wasn't abused. There were no Solar Auxilia players I'm aware of that were out there, like, trying to cram in every Malkador they could. And, and guys, I just, I know there's somebody out there that would argue this point, but it's really okay for an Astartes army to not get a thing. It's okay that they <laughs> don't have Dracosans. Okay. So controversial, Jason. I know. It's it's okay that they don't have a Malkador Infernus. And I think there's so many groups I've you know, listened to online that you remember way back when, when the uh, rules updated for uh, when it was still running off 40k rules, and there was that whole controversy on multi-bombing how people just straight up said, well, I know Games Workshop said you can only use one grenade in an assault, but that's stupid, so we've just decided to universally ignore it. This is the only other rules change that I have ever felt as strongly about as I did about multi-bombing and how it should be a thing that's technically, by the rules, not. So guys, try it out. If you know a Solar Auxilia player, Play a game with that dude. See that Malkadors as super heavies are fun for everybody when they're not like, you know, six of them all trying to run your shit down at once in squadrons. And maybe even write a helpful, happy little email to Games Workshop. It would mean a lot to me and Dave. So I'm going to assume that's Jason's plug for the night. Dave, do you have a plug? That is my plug. <laughs> Dave, no, do you have I, anything to plug? I, I really, I really don't. Hey, thanks for listening, guys. Yeah. Uh thank you guys for listening. I'll I'll say it again, like I said in the first part of the episode. Um please consider uh joining our Patreon. We post some fun stuff up there. Like I said, uh you get early access to to a bunch of our episodes. You're you're now getting uh syllabuses for our series. Um they we're really working hard on it to to make it a an experience everyone can enjoy um but but thank you all for listening and uh i think that's it from us <laughs>